Hey everyone, welcome to the Grabs Podcast, where we bring the stories of real-life rescues on the fire ground to you firsthand from those involved. I'm your host today, Grant Schwalbe, and today with me, I got J.D. Fisher from Porter Fire Department in Texas. How you doing, J.D.? What's up, Grant? How are you? Good. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your fire department. Yeah, uh, so I'm 36 years old. Uh, I joined a fire department back in 2012. I got out of the military in 2011, started the fire academy. I've been uh, been here, what's that make it, like coming up on nine years. I've uh, been a lieutenant for about four of those years uh, on an engine company mostly. Um, and uh, yeah, so the fire department that I'm with, uh, we are roughly, th- we have three man stations. Um, and uh roughly 16 people or so on shift at any given time and uh depending on what shift it is we have um we have our main station we have a ladder truck a rescue company a heavy rescue company um we have an engine company there Uh, we have a tanker a booster and some other smaller apparatus the other outline stations we have uh, engine company and a booster our battalion kind of rides in the middle of the district at my station uh, here. So, well, how, how many total people you guys get on a fire then, typically, before you call for any additional help? So, well, roughly we're running about three per engine within our department, give or take. On a good day, we might have four. Uh, and then we're getting at least three engines uh, from our department, plus probably two others from a mutual aid department that are probably running about the same same staffing per apparatus. So what is that? Uh, roughly 12 to 15, maybe 20 people, something like that on a, on a standard structure fire. What's the, uh, what's the time delay between units arriving on scene? We pretty much show up almost right on top of each other most of the time. I mean, uh, we're, 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 if we're not first in, we're usually right on the tailboard of the truck in front of us. Uh, it just kind of works out pretty good that way. So then when you guys are operating on a structure fire, are you IC driven assignments, pre-incident arrival or what? Yeah, sort of. Uh, I mean, we, we pretty much, you know, first unit, I mean, it's kind of an unwritten thing, but uh, for the most part, first unit's going to go start, start initial fire attack. Um, second end is probably going to assist with setting up, a, uh, helping them get the line set and then breaking off to do a primary search. Um, depending on the situation, they may be assigned to do something else. And then uh, third in is probably gonna secure water supply, send send additional manpower forward for any other assignments if we need to pull a second line or uh, go to the roof or or whatever the case may be. If it's a larger structure, we may assign another unit to assist with the primary. Uh, It just kind of depends on on what what the fire's like. And then uh, how, how are you guys doing searches? Like what's your search culture like? Are you guys doing oriented, VES, split search? Uh, yeah, we do, we do like uh, VES. We, uh, we, we do train on that quite a bit. Uh, probably our go-to is going to be uh, either an oriented or a split search. Uh, it depends on, again, it kind of depends on the fire. You know, I got uh, depends on smoke conditions, heat conditions, and also kind of crew experience. Um, if uh, you know, if I got somebody with me that's that's, I know I can kind of let them have free reign. I kind of I'll I'll kind of let them break off a little more often than than uh, if it's somebody that's brand new. You know, I'll probably try to keep them close, and we'll do more of an oriented search. A lot of times, it's just two of us. 
uh, going interior. The other guy's stuck out pumping the truck or handling EO duties out in the yard. So, uh, yeah, it just kind of depends. But, yeah, wh whatever is appropriate for the, for the scenario that we're in is what we try to try to do. So we train on, we train on uh, lots of different types. Whatever, so that way we have the appropriate tool for the toolbox uh, when the time comes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so take us back and uh, tell us about your grab. All right. So, uh, yeah, we were, so that particular tour, uh, we do 4896 uh, is our shift schedule. And I was, I was riding up on the ladder truck that, that tour. And I uh, had a, a three-man crew with me on the ladder truck. And we were dispatched to a, uh, an apartment fire uh, to our south. Uh, and, um, and it was right on the border of, of our district and our neighboring department's uh, district. So actually, I, I want to say the call initially came in to our dispatch center. We had separate dispatch centers uh, uh, because uh, they're um, basically their their dispatch center. I think took the call and transferred it to us, or vice versa. I don't I don't recall which, but I know that uh, there was some communication there where they just went ahead and dispatched us as well, even though it technically fell. In, in their district. So that kind of played a part in, in all of this. So I'll kind of come back around to, to that. Uh, but anyway, so, you know, we take off the engines, uh, shows up kind of briefly behind us. I think we were this, we were the second truck in, we pulled in right behind uh, one of their ladder trucks. Uh, and first thing we did was uh, come off the truck and uh, the, the mutual aid department that we were with, they, uh, they pulled the line and went to, uh, basically it's a two-story apartment, uh, but it was a single floor living space. So the apartment was basically above the garage. So the first floor was just a garage only. The second floor uh, was the living space. So we helped them stretch the line, get the line set out, uh, kind of flaked out in the uh, driveway. And uh, we entered in through the garage. They had to force the door to get in. Uh, we immediately, you know, we pretty much already knew it's so probably an 800 square foot apartment or so. Uh, so we pretty much already knew we were going to go in and assist setting the line and then break off uh, to do a primary. And uh, so we, we come in, we go through the garage, nothing, there's no smoke or anything, maybe a light haze. Uh, and then there's a staircase that leads upstairs. Uh, so we go upstairs, we get almost to the top of the staircase and we start start getting into some pretty heavy smoke. There's really not, not much heat and the smoke's pretty lazy. I mean, it's not moving or anything. We don't have a whole lot of heat. So uh, it's mainly just, just heavy smoke in there. Um, so uh, they end up getting water to the line. It took a minute to kind of work the line to, to get it up the staircase and get all the kinks worked out because uh, it was kind of tight quarters where we had to flake it out at out in the yard. So it, it took, a, took us a second to get the line set. Uh, so, once they we're, we're right behind their crew, um, me and me and my other fireman that was with me. Uh, so there's two of us, and I think the other crew had two as well. So they go ahead and start moving towards. Uh, when they got to the top of the staircase, they they went to the left, which uh, happened to be where the kitchen was at. Um, so they headed that direction. And so in my mind, at that point, I decided, okay, they're going to go left. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go towards the right. It's a small apartment. If we if we kind of split crews that way, even though they're fire attack, uh, they have a chance of coming across somebody that direction. So 
I'm going to go ahead and break off towards uh, the bedrooms and stuff. And when we got to the top of the staircase. I mean, it was, it was just thick smoke. I couldn't see anything. Uh, but uh, I mean, it was no heat. And like I said, the smoke wasn't moving. It was just a lot of smoke, but, but no, no signs of fire or anything like that. Um, other than smoke itself. So me and my firemen, we uh, made our way up to the first bedroom. Uh, we searched, basically I just held the, the doorway to, because like I said, it was limited visibility. So sent him into the room, uh, let him search and I kind of guided him with the tick best I could. It was a small bedroom, so it, it only took a second. I remember kind of telling him, hey, hurry up. It's just the primary, come on, let's go. It's, a, it's just the primary, so be quick, you know, but don't miss anything. So uh, he makes his way back around to me. I'm like, all right, come on, let's go bump up to the next room. Uh, we bump up to the next room and, uh, and it's another bedroom. He, he searches that one real quick as well. I stay, I kind of anchor at the doorway. So we're staying oriented. Uh, Cause I mean, uh, like I said, the smoke was, was pretty heavy. I didn't want us to, to get turned around. Um, well, he made his way back to me. Uh, there was a, a bathroom. I think we searched, we didn't find anything in the, uh, basically the, uh, living spaces in the house where the, you know, it's nighttime, it's probably around midnight. So that's kind of where we were expecting to find somebody in the bedroom or something. So uh, didn't find anybody in there. At this point, we're kind of not necessarily letting our guard down, but just kind of relaxing a little bit more thinking, okay, nobody was home, you know, um, but we're not done with the search yet. So we can hear the other crew. They're not, not far from us. They're over in the kitchen. Uh, and so we kind of make our way over towards them. We're checking the living room, the couch and everything. We make our way and we're pretty much right behind them at this point. And my, I, I hit, I, uh, I remember my foot hit something on the floor that felt kind of soft. So I look down, smoke conditions are still pretty heavy. So I can't see, I almost have to like crouch, crouch all the way down to the floor uh, with my face mask. And I see a person there. Uh, it was a, the lady and she was pretty big, probably my guess was probably about 350 pounds. Um, so, you know, I immediately got on the radio, said, Hey, we have a victim. And I tell my firemen to, uh, let's get there. Normally when we do drags, we'll try to position the head towards the exit just because we don't want arms and legs flapping out, uh, catching on stuff. It, it just seems in training, we found that, that that tends to work a little better. Uh, than, than trying to drag by the feet. If we have room to turn them around, we try to position the head towards the point of egress, if possible. Um, I noticed when I found, when I found the victim, uh, and so this is kind of one of the things I wanted to talk, do this podcast about and, and, and bring up. Uh, so that attack crew had stretched the line over her, her chest. So whenever I found her, I had to literally take the hose and pull it off of her there was also a set of irons laid on her. Like, uh, I guess, I guess maybe they thought she was a, a piece of furniture or something. I mean, it was heavy smoke conditions. I guess they didn't realize that they had basically stepped over her, uh, to get to the kitchen. So, um, that was kind of a, a learning point that I took away from the whole thing. Uh, you know, like, uh, since then I've kind of changed, my methods. I don't necessarily break off away from the attack crew because they go left. I'm going to go right, which was kind of my go-to thing in the past. What I tend to do now is, is follow them up the line, get as close to the seat of the fire as possible, and then, and then work my way back. And I don't depend on them uh, locating somebody 
because they're kind of preoccupied with with moving hose and and focusing on fire attacks. So that's one thing that that I kind of took away from that. Um, anyways, so about that time after I got all the tools and everything off of her uh, and and the hose off of her, called it called it in, and my fireman's trying to get her position towards facing towards the staircase. Uh, one of the other firemen from the mutual aid department with this turned around and tripped, landed like right on top of her. Uh, and then, you know, yells out to his, his captain, Hey, we, we've got a victim. And I'd, I'd already called it in. I guess that was one of the issues we were having on this call because it was a mutual aid department and it, they run off of a separate dispatch center. They have a totally different radio system. Now our dispatch and their dispatch has the ability to, to patch radio frequencies together so that we can communicate on scene and I, they had done that uh, they had called out that they had done that on the way to the fire uh, but but for whatever reason I wasn't really able to communicate with command I could hear command talking over the radio uh, but I couldn't hear uh, them responding to anything I was telling them so when I called out we have a victim there was no response whenever that guy fell on her told his captain his captain called it in well, now they, they heard, they heard that, uh, we had a victim and it was probably from the time that we found her to the time that they called it in was probably, I don't know, 45 seconds or so. Uh, so, I mean, there was a, there was a little bit of communications issue there. Like there is on every fire I've ever been to. Um, but anyways, uh, so like I said, she's a pretty big lady. Um, and we start trying to, trying to move her and I, it was probably, it was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. Um, I mean, when I first found her, you know, it was kind of like, holy crap, you know, this is a real person. It's the first time I'd ever come across a real person in a fire. So it was kind of a, a shock. Not that I didn't expect to see that at some point, but it was just kind of like, wow, this isn't a, this isn't a training dummy. It's a real person. And, uh, and so, you know, I'm like, okay, cool. I know what to do. Well, whenever I started grabbing a halt over and trying to move her, it was a whole different ball game than anything I'd ever done in training. Uh, I mean, she was slick, slimy. Um, I couldn't get a grip on her to save my life. All three, there was three of us trying to move her and none of us could really get a good grip on her at all. And uh, we tried all kinds of different stuff to get her out of there. Um, I remember at one point, uh, I couldn't, I was trying to hold on to her wrist with both hands. My fireman had her other wrist. We're trying to pull her and the, uh, uh, one of the firemen from the other crew was basically had her legs and was trying to push her forward. Uh, she's on her back and we're trying to slide her on the carpet and, uh, and we're just slipping, our hands are slipping off of her and, and we just couldn't get a grip. So I kind of crouched down on my knees and I, I kind of grabbed her elbow, hooked it over my elbow and like figure forward her arm to kind of hold on to it kind of have something that was, she, she didn't have a shirt on all she was wearing was like some basketball shorts so there wasn't really any clothing to grab a hold of or anything so I'm like trying to trying to drag her and uh that ended up not working out we finally got her over to the staircase and now we've got to go downstairs so I'm thinking okay well look good at least we got gravity working for us now and uh worked her I mean we, it was almost like one step at a time down the stairs just because I mean, she was just sticking to the carpet like velcro it was uh it was it was extremely difficult and we finally got her out i think all in all it took us from the time we found her to the time we got her out uh outside was probably about four minutes which doesn't seem like maybe that all, all that long but considering how far we had to go it didn't it wasn't all that far i felt like uh 
it, it, it should only take in a minute or two, but, but it was just, man, it was something else. It was, it was something I didn't expect. So again, that's kind of one of the reasons I wanted to get on here and, and bring that up because it came, it came as a shock to me, uh, how difficult it was to move her. And granted, she was a, a, a big girl, you know, I kind of expected, a. I kind of expected between three big, strong firemen that we'd probably be able to get her out a little easier than we did. And uh, so, yeah, it was, it was an eye opener. How long do you think it took, you said it was four minutes from the time you found her to removal approximately. What do you think it was from you guys arriving to finding her? Uh, so uh, looking at the notes, uh, the timestamps, uh, it was, it was, I think, around from the time that we popped the e-brake till the time we located her was probably uh, four or five minutes, I think. And again, that was another, another thing that, uh, that I kind of was sort of beating myself up about was, man, it was a small apartment. Uh, I feel like, you know, that, that should have happened faster. Uh, but the, the thing about it was we did spend a lot of time trying to get the hose straightened out uh, and dealing with a lot of obstacles and, and really confined space out in the yard. So, uh, you know, looking back on it, I guess four minutes wasn't too terrible. Um, and I think that one thing would have sped that up a lot is had that crew that, that, that went that way located her, I mean, they, they stretched the line right over. They literally had to step over her because she took up basically the entire threshold between the, between the living room and the kitchen in this apartment, um, you know, that basically they missed her. And I, I mean, I can't blame them for it. It was, it was heavy smoke and it was, you know, furniture in there. So I don't know, maybe they mistaked her for like a, a beanbag on the floor or something, you know, a pile of clothes or something. I don't know. But, uh, you know, I felt like she, she could have been found quicker. Uh, I mean, I felt like our search went pretty smooth uh, on, on our end. Uh, and again, that's another reason I don't really, rely on the fire attack crew locating the victim anymore because they've got their hands full. Uh, so I've kind of taken on the role of if, if I'm assigned primary search, I'm going to try and take full responsibility of making sure that place is searched. And I think the best way to do that is, is starting from the fire and working your way back. Uh, so in the past, you know, it was, if the, if the attack team went left, I was going to go right and basically kind of divide and conquer. But uh, looking back on it, I've kind of changed the way I go about doing that so yeah one of my mentors Skip Coleman said we multitask horribly and yeah. uh, I definitely agree with that try to get in and at least locate where the fire is and maybe give the fire attack a heads up it seems like uh, if the search team can get in ahead uh, you can get stuff done a lot quicker but on the flip side you always want to be giving them giving them a hand especially if it's a division two fire they're going to need some hand getting that hose stretched up there yeah. Uh, let's jump into that victim. Uh, sounds like you guys had done some victim training quite a bit, but this is like the the uh, Super Bowl of it, <laughs> having the size of the victim, no clothes to work with, and the slickness. Was she burned? No. So uh, what was crazy was there was really not much fire. Uh, I think she had uh, gone to bed and left a like a blender sitting on top of the stovetop. And uh, basically it melted down and, and I, it may have started at some point. There was enough smoke in there. It, it pretty much choked itself off before the fire really got big. I mean, it was some, some char marks and burn marks directly above the stove. Though it really wasn't, it wasn't, I don't remember feeling a lot of heat in there. I, I want to say, I remember seeing on the tick, maybe it was, it was over a hundred degrees in there. It wasn't a whole lot of heat. I think it was just smoke that got, uh, got to her. 
So there was no, no thermal burns to my knowledge. Uh, talk to me real quick about what you take in if you're assigned search. And I know you'd mentioned tick and how that has worked in your favor or against you, if you could. Yeah, it's a, it's kind of a balance. Uh, I've noticed, I mean, when I first, when I first started riding the seat as an officer and uh, carrying the tick, you know, I, I rely on it heavily cause it's like, wow, I can see, you know, and, uh, but I, I found after using it a lot that, man, if you over rely on that thing, you lose your orientation. Uh, looking at that screen is, it doesn't keep you oriented. I mean, you're looking at a two dimensional screen and you kind of quit paying attention. If you're relying heavily on your eyes, what your eyes are telling you, you kind of, you don't pay attention to your other senses. And so it's easier to kind of lose your sense of direction. So pretty much what I use the tick for uh, is initial conditions and do a quick scan when we hit the doorway, uh, when we're making entry. And then maybe as soon as I hit any doorway, I'll, I'll do a quick scan. Uh, if I have time, uh, I'll do a quick scan of the room and then the tick goes down and I don't look at it while I'm, while I'm moving. Uh, because I found that if I just stare and stare at the screen on the tick, man, you get turned around pretty quick. And, uh, and it, it also just kind of gets in the way. I mean, if you're relying on that too much, it just, it just nothing beats putting hands on stuff. I mean, uh, you know, you're already dealing with limited visibility, even, even with the tick, I mean, you know, in, in heavy smoke or heat, uh, you can't make out much on that thing. Uh, so you know, I try to balance it. I'll use it as a tool, but I don't, I don't rely on it uh, heavily anymore, at least not anymore. You know, something I've kind of learned not to do over the couple of years. Well, nice. We definitely appreciate you sharing the story. There's a lot of good takeaways from this. Anything else you want to share with us uh, or the listeners? No, man, just uh, keep doing what you're doing. I, I appreciate your podcast a lot. Uh, I picked up uh, a lot just from listening and I uh, try to I try to, you know, one of the things I like is, is hearing the different scenarios that these guys uh, that you're talking to have come across and, and you know, it gives me food for thought, but also uh, trying to implement it in, in different training scenarios we set up around here. I try not to do anything that's, uh, you know, just crazy ridiculous. I try to do stuff that's that's actually happened or stuff I hear about on, on fires. Uh, so when I'm building a training scenario or something, a drill that we're going to do, I try to base it off of real world scenarios that have happened somewhere. And so your, your podcast is uh, giving me a lot of uh, material to work with. So uh, it's, it's a lot of good information. So keep doing what you're doing, man. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you sharing the story. If you make a grab or assist alive or deceased, please go to www.firefighterrescuesurvey.com and take that short survey. This information is for us and by us and updated in real time. If you'd like to share your story on this podcast, reach out to me, Grant Schwalbe, Justin McWilliams, or Nick Ledeen. And uh, thanks for listening.